opening your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, and I appreciate all the good singing and the special and the piano playing. I appreciate Miss Shirley stepping in. I tell you, I don't mind uh, seeing somebody have to go out because they got a little one, do you? Because that means there's a little one around, amen? I like having all these little ones around, all these babies everywhere. I just love it. I don't know what we're going to do about it, amen? We just, we got them everywhere. We need more is what it is, amen? Don't look at me. I'm saying to the rest of you young people out there, that are within the confines of marriage. I'm just saying we need more. Amen. All right. Second Corinthians chapter number 5 this morning. And I'd like to begin reading in verse number 17. The holy, inspired, infallible, perfect Word of God says to us, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let's read verse 20 once more. Our text is found there. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, Be ye reconciled to God. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, thank You for this time. Thank You, Lord, that we live in a country where we can gather together freely and worship, Lord. Lift up the high and holy name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we take advantage of it while we still have the opportunity to do so. Lord, I pray that this morning we would come with our hearts and minds open. God, ourselves submitted unto the Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that you give me unction and power in the preaching. Lord, I'm not capable in and of myself. But, Lord, I know that if you'll accomplish that one request, Father, that all the glory will go unto you. So that's what we ask for this morning. Lord, we ask that each heart would be softened to the preaching of your word. Lord, that you would accomplish in us that which is most needful. Lord, if there's one amongst us that does not know your Son as their Savior, Lord, let them not leave this place. Except the convicting power of the Holy Ghost fall upon their hearts and minds. Lord, they be shown their need of Calvary. Lord, I pray that they would be eternally and blissfully and gloriously saved by your wonderful gospel. Lord, we love you so much and we thank you so much. We don't love you like we ought to, Lord, but teach us how to love you more. And we'll be sure to thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Second Corinthians 5.20 tells us, Now then we are ambassadors. For Christ, I made the statement a moment ago, and I still believe it now. You'd be in a mess if you had a preacher that could make a statement before prayer and not believe it after, amen? But I, I still believe we have the inspired Word of God. I believe that it's perfect. I don't believe anybody needs to correct it. I don't believe anybody needs to change it. I believe if anything needs to be changed, it needs to be our understanding. If you were to go to the store and buy a uh, barbecue grill and try to put it together, I promise you, number one, you wouldn't know how, because nobody does, amen? 
But then number two, when you didn't know how, I promise you get the instructions out and read it. Now, if you think that much of your grill, you ought to think that much of God. Amen? I believe it's perfect. I believe it's inspired. I believe it's exactly what it ought to be. And I believe God says things for a reason. I don't believe that God had a quota of how many words he had to use, and so he threw a few extras in there. I believe he says exactly what he means, means what he says. And I believe that when the Bible says that we are ambassadors for Christ, that ought to have a special meaning to you and I. We know that Paul is speaking to the believer because he uses the term we. Uh, He's writing to a church when he writes this, the church at Corinth. And he exhorts them to take upon themselves this role as an ambassador. Now, there's a lot of things that the uh, Christian is likened unto in the Word of God. We could spend ages and ages and ages, and before we leave here today, you might think we've spent ages and ages and ages, but uh, we could spend all hours talking about all the things. This morning, I just want to focus on this little idea of you and I as ambassadors. Mr. Webster defines it for us as an official envoy. That's what an ambassador is. Especially a diplomatic agent of the highest rank, accredited to a foreign government or sovereign as the resident representative of his or her own government or sovereign or appointed for a special and often, I like this, I know it's not Bible, but I do believe that there's some truth to this, a temporary diplomatic assignment. That's what Mr. Webster defines for us an ambassador as. We know what the term ambassador means, or most of us do. We understand that each nation has certain people that they send out to go to foreign lands, and they are there to act in a number of different roles. But the Bible says that you and I, we function as ambassadors. Currently, the U.S. government has 133 ambassadors. That's a lot, amen? But do you know that the cause of Jesus Christ has many, many more than this? Because you and I, we are all, when we're born into the family of God, we're born to be ambassadors. We are a special envoy. We are on an assignment. I know most people live their Christian life as though they're just waiting for the last grain of sand to fall uh, from the hourglass. Most live as though they're just waiting for the last second to click across the uh, clock. But uh, the Bible teaches that you and I have purpose to our life. We're not here for no reason. We're here for the grandest reason. We're not here for no purpose. We're here for the chief purpose. And when God saved you, He didn't save you to sit. He saved you to serve. Now, I'm thankful. That means something to me this morning. Uh, Do you know that I'm not worthy of serving God? Paul talked about the Lord counting him faithful that He'd put him into the ministry. What an honor it is. And you say, well, of course, preacher, you say that because you're a pastor. No, as a believer, to be employed in the giving of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ. I don't know about you, friend, but when you give someone something and entrust them with it, uh, the more precious it is, the higher honor that it is. What's more precious than the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, that's the saving grace of God. That's the truth of God's beloved Son coming to this world to die for your sins and for mine. And God could have chosen any instrumentality that He wanted to choose, but instead He chose human instrumentality, uh, clay and earthen vessels. You and I, with all our failures and flaws, I mean, we've been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a blissful and blessed truth. As I think about this idea of an ambassador, I want to give you a few things that I thought about. uh, The Bible uses this kind of grammatical tool over and over again as it likens one thing to another. And do you know that God is wise in how He does things? 
God does not give us this truth so that we can learn more things about an ambassador uh, from the Christian. God gives us this truth so that we can learn more things about a Christian from an ambassador. Uh, we're not necessarily to look at a Christian and attribute those attributes to an ambassador, but rather to look at an ambassador and attribute those attributes to the Christian. We can learn things from this. And God chose this terminology for a distinct reason. You know, as I think about an ambassador, I think about what he does. I think about the position of an ambassador. All over the world uh, this very day, there are uh, agents from uh, the U.S. government that have been stationed all over the world in a vast array of places. And they have a few different responsibilities. Let me just give them to you real quick. I would say that the first thing that an ambassador does is he is there to represent the government on whose behalf he has come. The ambassador for the U.S. that is stationed right now in England is there as a representative. When they speak to that man, it's as if they are speaking to the U.S. government. When they want to find out something about the relations between their country and that of the U.S. government, they're going to go to that man. And the same thing could be said all over the world. They are there as a representative of their government. Do you know that you and I, as believers of Jesus Christ, whether we like it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, and whether we want to up to it or not, we are representatives of Jesus Christ. Old D.L. Moody used to say that out of a hundred men, one will read the Bible and the other 99 are going to read the Christian. You and I, friend, people are watching our life. And you know, it's a lot like that word witness. You say, what is a witness? What is a testimony? Do you know that we're all witnesses, Brother Ralph? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you want to be. It doesn't matter if you don't want to be. People are looking at our life and they're making some decisions about Jesus Christ concerning it. Hey, it was old Mahatma Gandhi that made the statement. He said, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christian. He also said, I probably would have become a Christian had I never met one. What a sad truth concerning believers. But do you know that's the truth today? Do you know that a lot of us, were the very things standing in between a person and coming to Jesus Christ. They look at our life, they look at the sin, they look at the hypocrisy, they look at the play church, and they look at the dead Christianity, and they say, if that's what the gospel is, I don't want any part of it. You say, I didn't sign on for this. Sure you did. You see, you died to self at Calvary, and now Christ is the one that lives through you. And when you took the name Christian, that meant something. That meant something. We speak often about taking the Lord's name in vain. And let me say very clearly that I do believe that taking the Lord's name in vain is using it without any purpose. I do believe that that's true. And by the way, you know, that's one of the most prevalent sins in the church today. I hear it all the time, friend. I hear people all the time say, well, oh my God. I hear it all the time, don't you? It about sends chills even just, just even for me to say it in a sermon. It about sends chills. And I do have a reason why I'm saying it. But you hear it all the time. You say, well, my mama said it. Well, if your mama was a drunkard, should you be a drunkard? If you, you say, well, my daddy, you know, he, he, he used to say, well, if your daddy was a, was a gambler, should you be a gambler? The previous generation's sin is no excuse for our sin. We ought to break ourselves of it because the Bible says that He will not hold uh, that person guiltless who taketh His name in vain. But, you know, I believe there's another connotation besides just that. I've already upset some of you this morning. I saw some of you reach up to the hearing aid and click it off. Uh, there's another understanding, I believe, of taking His name in vain. If you were to take, a, take something in vain or adopt something in vain, I believe it's also dealing with Christians that call themselves Christians, but they don't live like Christians. Listen, friend, you're representative whether you like it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not. And let me tell you something. If you claim the name of Christ, there's some of you, you've got co-workers, and you're the best Christian they know. 
If people were to judge Christianity based upon your testimony, what would they think about it? If they were to assume that every single Christian they know is a Christian like you, if they were to look at your faithfulness to the house of God, your faithfulness in giving the gospel, your faithfulness in the word of God, your separation in the way that you live, uh, your convictions in the way that you stand, if they were to look at that and say, that's what every Christian is like, what would their opinion of Christianity be? You know, the sad truth is, that's what a lot of people are doing. You know that the lost man, listen carefully to what I'm about to say, the lost man is looking for nothing more than an excuse or an answer. He's looking for those two things. And if he's looking for an answer, but he finds an excuse to reject it, he'll reject it every time. And there may be something that you do and you say, well, I preach you, that's silly, that ain't no big deal. You may even say this, I've heard this a lot. Well, you know, the Lord's given me liberty about that. You know, the Lord will never give you liberty to sin. I mean, it's sad that that's got to be said, but it's got to be said today. Because there's a lot of people say, well, you know, I just have that liberty. I just, I've got liberty. Liberty to what? The Bible says, if the Son hath made you free, you're free indeed. When you were a lost sinner, you were under the bondage of sin. You had no choice but to sin. But now you're made free indeed, and you have the choice of whether you're going to serve God or serve the devil. You have the choice in how you're going to live and how you're going to act and how you're going to operate. That's what liberty is. Liberty is not the liberty to sin. Liberty is the liberty to separation. The liberty to live unto Jesus Christ and unto His glory and His honor. No more under bondage to the devil. No more under bondage to sin. You've got a choice in the matter now. You can make a decision about it. And people are looking at your life. And you may say, well, preacher, it's not a big deal. It's just a little thing. It's just a little thing. It's not significant. You know, that's what Lot said. Lot was coming out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the angel told him, uh, said, get thee unto the uh, mountaintop and hide there. You know what Lot said? Lot said, oh, please. I'm paraphrasing. You know, he didn't say, oh, please. But uh, he said, he said, oh, please, uh, there's, a, there's a plain city of Zoar. That was one of the cities. And he said, let me go there and let me hide there. If I go to the mountains, I'm going to die. And you know, that's how Christians are. God calls them to a higher walk, and they say, I can't do that. I die. I can't give that up. I die. I can't live, I can't dress like that, I die. Sounds like a teenager, don't it? He said, I can't go up to the mountains, I die. He said, let me go to the plain city of Zohar. And this is what he said, look it up. He said, it's just, it's but a little one. It was en route to the plain city of Zohar that Lot's wife looked back and was turned to a pillar of salt. If he had been in the mountains, there would have been no view of those plain cities. He would have been shielded and protected by the providence and will of God, but instead he stepped out. He said, it's just a little one. It's just a little one. That's all it takes is just a little one. You may say, preacher, it's just a little sin. But you don't understand that just as Lot's wife was following him, there's some unbeliever that's following your life and examining you and trying to see. And the closer you walk to the world, the closer you're taking them to the world. And as they look backwards, they turn away from the grace of Jesus Christ. But it was just a little one, preacher. That's all it takes is just a little one. They're there to represent. Let me give you a second thing. They're there to relate. When an ambassador is a position in a place, they're there to take the wishes of that government and to relate it to the people that live there. Uh, they're not there on their own terms or for their own reasons. They're there simply to relate these truths that have been given to them, I like this, from home office and to take and to share them. Do you know you and I as ambassadors for Jesus Christ, we're not here for our own agenda. Uh, the only agenda I'm interested in is the agenda of seeing men, women, boys, and girls come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, be, be, be placed in a local church and discipled and grow in Jesus Christ. That's what I'm interested in. 
any agenda is, is, is just that. It's an agenda and it's worthless if it's not the agenda that Christ has set us about. Listen, you're not here. You're not here to make a bunch of money. Thank the Lord, because most of us aren't good at it. You're, you're not here to build a big name or a big reputation. It means nothing. If I was to ask you who the President of the United States is, most of you could name it. But if I was to ask you any one of our ambassadors, other than the one that was slain a couple years ago, most of you couldn't name a, a single one, and I couldn't either. You know why? The ambassador is not there for fame and fortune. The ambassador is simply there to relate the wishes and truths of the home office. You and I as believers, we're not here to make a name for ourselves. We're here to share the name of Jesus Christ. We're not here to gain wealth and to gain power. We're here to show a poor and lost and wandering sinner all the wealth that Calvary has opened up for them. That's what we're here for.